it's exciting to know that we as a community partner with World Vision and that we're making a difference around the world. So I, I, would, I would encourage you to be a part of that and that, that event that's coming up. Well, a few weeks ago, we started a series about doubt and faith in which we wanted to take an honest look at some of the reasons why people have doubts when it comes to believing. Now, whether you've been following along the, few, the last few weeks or you're a first-time visitor here this morning, we, I want you to understand, we want to be a church that allows you to explore your doubts in a safe place so that you can grow your faith. My name is Rich Evans, and uh, I have the privilege of serving here as a family ministry pastor, and I want to say thank you for joining us this morning. But back on Easter Sunday, Scott kicked off this series about doubt and faith, and, and the question that was asked that morning is, is it okay for us to have doubts? I mean, is it okay to doubt your faith or even to have doubts whether God exists? And I know, in fact, I know from my personal believing that everyone at one time or another has doubts. And what we learned is, or what we were challenged is, what do we do with those doubts? I mean, we could either let them push us towards God or let them push us away from God. And, and, and Scott encouraged us to explore them, to acknowledge them, to wrestle with them. And on the back end of that, our goal would be to come to an understanding of truly believing why we believe what we believe. And last week, we got into the, the hot topic subject that I think a lot of people struggle with when it comes to following God or even believing in God is, how could there be a good God with so much suffering pain in the world? And what we learned last week and what I've been learning through my own life is that Jesus provides us with the resources to help us deal with our suffering like nothing else can. And because of that, we have a hope for something more than our current situation. So today I want to explore another, another topic that I think is a, a hot topic, especially because I hung out with teenagers for so long. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a huge tension within our culture, and, and it's simply this. Why do Christians believe they have the absolute truth? In other words, if the absolute truth exists, if Jesus is the absolute truth, then doesn't that harm my sense of freedom? Doesn't that restrict me? Well, we always read a passage of Scripture together, so I want to invite you to stand with me. Read it along as we put it on the screen behind me, and I will read it aloud. It's from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 16. It's, a, it's a kind of a long verse, so stay with me. This matter arose... Because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, the Jews, was also at work as me in me as an apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. James and John and those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me, and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas, Peter, 
came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before a certain man came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back, separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. And that, by their hypocrisy, even led Barnabas astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cyphus, Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet... You live like a Gentile and do not live like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, before we get into this message this morning, I want to be perfectly clear with you and straight up front. There is a lot in this passage. We're not going to cover everything in this passage. I spent countless hours reading, studying, and praying over this morning's message, and and I know that this morning isn't even going to scratch the surface. We could spend a few weeks on this subject, but my goal is, in our short time together, is to scratch the surface. It is to explore a little bit of what what Paul is saying in this passage. And I believe that there are three key points that we can have as takeaways today that come from this passage from Galatians. In fact, they come from a book that was written by Timothy Keller, these three takeaways. Uh, It's a book called The Reasons for God. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you and invite you to pick it up. Uh, We've kind of been using it as a resource as we've been going through this series. So as I sat down at my table in my, in my kitchen and I thought to myself, okay, where do I start? Well, why don't we just start with the obvious? How do we define truth? I mean, according to the dictionary, truth is conformity to the fact or an actuality, a statement proven to be or accepted as truth. Now, keep in mind, when we read that definition, there are people in our world, maybe someone in here or someone outside of here, who actually believe that there is no true reality. In other words, we only live by our perceptions. We only live by our opinions. But others, for instance, Christians, believe and would argue that there must be some absolute truth. There must be some absolute reality. And if this is the case, now think about this. If this is a case, an absolute truth does exist, wouldn't it be fair to say that Christians are undermining their freedom Because absolute truth takes away their freedom. In fact, it may eventually erode it over time. In other words, doesn't this mindset come across more like we're trying trying to limit one's freedom by imposing constraints and conformity on them? See, what I know to be true is that our culture believes that everyone should be free to determine for themselves what is true and what is not, what is right and what is wrong, what I can and cannot do. I know myself, I've, I've thought that way, I've lived that way, I've made choices, I make my own choices, what can I, can't, what can I do, what can't I do, what should, what can I, um, what's right and what's wrong, but here's what I've learned. Even when I'm making those choices, I have come to learn that Sometimes they're just a little bit more complex than that. Maybe there's a little bit more to it. 
For instance, I'll give you an example. When I was uh, a teenager, many, many years ago, um, my mom came home one day and she said, hey, Rich, let's go to the movie store, the video store, to rent a VHS tape. You know what a VHS tape is, right? You put it in them big, large video machines that took two people to carry when they were first. Right. Do you realize those that are chuckling with me, you just dated yourself? Because the reality is there are, there are students and people in here that have no idea what we're talking about. You can live stream everything, okay, right to your TV set. But the point I'm going to make works either way. I remember my mom and I went to the, the, the movie store, and she said, Rich, you could pick out any movie you want. You have the freedom to choose any movie you want. That's like telling a kid he can go in the candy store and have everything he wants. And I said, fine, no problem. So I went in there, and I went right to the new release wall. And when I got to the wall, I, I grabbed the movie that everyone had been talking about, that everybody wanted to see. And, and when I looked at it, I was so excited, I ran back towards my mom. I said, Mom, I found my movie. Here it is. And she grabbed it, and she looks at the front side of it, and she looks at the back side of it, and she says, Richard, now you know it's not going to go right from here. She used my full name. And she said, Richard, go put it back on the shelf. We're not renting that one. It's rated R. It's got too much violence, too much sexuality in it. Wait a minute. You told me, I didn't say this out loud, I thought it. You told me that I could rent any movie I wanted, and now you're limiting my freedom of choice. You're imposing your view on me that this movie is bad for me. Everybody else is watching it, why can't I? The point is, if someone is telling us telling me or you that their way is the only way, then not only does it harm our freedom, but it also kind of constrains us, restricts the freedom that we believe we have. Let's look at it another way. If people, Christians, believe they have absolute truth, then are they really free? I mean, think about it. Aren't they kind of contradicting themselves because their truth actually brings some constraints it brings limitations. Maybe it actually will erode their freedom over time. Here's where I'm going with this. How do we make sense of this contradiction? What do we say about it? How do we respond? And I believe that we have three responses to this that, we need to, that we're going to unpack this morning. The first one is this. Truth is a little more important than you would think. The second one is freedom is a lot more complex than you would think. And Jesus is a lot more liberating than you would think. Now, wait a minute. Absolute truth, remember truth is conformity, contradicts freedom. Truth is more important, freedom is more complex, and Jesus is more liberating. Truth is more important than you think. See, in this passage from Galatians, we actually first come across it in the book of Acts, okay? And it's, it's, it talks about the earliest days of the Christian church. And you need to understand, in the early Christian church, Everybody was Jewish, and because of that, they observed the Mosaic ceremonial laws, the ritual purity codes of what you could eat and what you could wear. And in this passage, we learn that the Apostle Paul was commissioned to preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the uncircumcised. Because, and here's what happened. Many of them, through his preaching, came to a saving faith in Jesus and started coming to the church. And you would think that was a great thing, because it was. But on the other side of this, in this passage, we know that P 
people infiltrated their church, they had a different mission in mind. In fact, they started to come and spy on Paul. And they realized that the Gentiles were not observing the ceremonial ritual purity codes and the Mosaic laws and all that. In fact, they weren't doing it at all. And they got angry. That's not right. They're not, you're, you're giving them the wrong message. Paul tried to explain to him what was going on. It didn't stop there. He was summoned to the big church in Jerusalem. And when he got there, he was summoned with the other apostles, the elders, James, John, and Peter as well. And the purpose for this meeting was for them, for Paul, to explain why he was, why he was saying what he was saying. See, Paul had to give them an explanation of why he believed that there was freedom in the gospel. In fact, we learn in verse 5 that he also argued for the truth of the gospel. Eventually, after much discussion, and after he explained to them where his stance was, they all came to under understand, you know what, Paul? You're doing good. You're correct. You're not off base. The point is, Paul is saying, we have freedom in Christ because of the truth of the gospel. Now, in a moment, a little bit later, I'm going I'm to talk to you about the truth of the gospel. But I want to I camp out for a moment on the, different, the relationship between truth and freedom. Because it doesn't make sense. Conformity versus freedom, it, it, it's like a tension. The reason that Paul was arguing for it, he says, is because freedom comes from the truth. And it sounds challenging. Why? Because it's exactly the opposite way that we think about that in the culture that we live in. In fact... If in our culture, we feel like if we have to comply for the truth, then you're forcing me, forcing me to do something I don't want to do. You're forcing me to obey a truth I may not believe in. You're forcing your truth on me. You're forcing me to obey a truth. And, 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 and it's like putting a round peg into a square hole. Why do we feel that way? Because it goes against our cultural mindset. It goes against our our. our, our our natural tendency of how we were raised in the environments around us. See, when we think someone has, claims to have the truth, and they come at us with it, we think they're coming at us because they want control over us. Claiming to have the truth is a method of control. Claiming to have the truth is a form of constraint, a way of controlling other people's behavior, getting power over them. Think about it this way. My mom would not let me rent the movie according to her. She believed her truth. She believed that the rating and the violence in the movie might affect my behavior. Now, I'm not saying she was right. I mean, I'm wrong because she probably was right, okay? But the reality is the movie wasn't something she was going to allow me to see, so I wasn't able to rent the movie. I had to rent the movie. It had to be her way or the highway. You know what I'm talking about. Now, in my eyes, teenager that I was, I didn't understand it. In fact, I acted like it was a power play. Now, I didn't think that. I wasn't that smart at that time. I literally acted out and threw a fit. And, got, and I said, man, are you wrong? You said I could have freedom. You just want control over my choices. You just want control over me. How bad could the movie be? Everybody else is watching it. It just didn't make sense to me. I mean, even if you look into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to notice that the Pharisees reacted and acted the same way around the people that they were supposed to lead. 
They made truth claims all the time as a way of gaining power over those they were leading. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this. Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. See, Jesus is saying and telling the Pharisees, you're claiming to have the truth, but your truth are ways for you to try to get power. It's ways of justifying your status. It's a way of justifying your position. It's a way of justifying your group. It's a ways of getting control over the people that you're leading. You're leading. It's ways for you of trying to get control over God. Listen, truth claims in general, based off this passage, says Jesus, are power plays. If you insist that all truth claims are power plays all the time, then couldn't we say that truth claims destroy truth all the time and that anybody who says they have the truth actually destroys freedom? That's a lot to think about. And I'm going to push back and say, no, that's not the case. I want to share a quote from a book from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. He wrote Mere Christianity. He also wrote The Great Divorce. But in the book, Abolition of Man, written by him, it reads like this. He says, but you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you have explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. What Lewis is saying in this, in this is that the whole point of seeing through something is actually to see something. See, at our homes, it's good that we have windows because when we look out our window, we can see our front street. If we look out the back window, we can see our yard, our shed, maybe a garden. They're all solid images. But if you see through everything and nothing behind it is solid, then everything would be transparent. And then we could say that we live in a wholly transparent world where everything is invisible. We live in an invisible world. In other words, to see through all things is not the same as to see. And what does that mean? It simply means that all truth claims are power plays. You, you, you hear what I said? All truth claims are power plays. You know what I just did? I made a truth claim. To say no one should make a truth claim because it's just a power play, that's a truth claim. You're claiming the truth. It's probably the most incredible power trip you can, you can have. And what do I mean by that? It's simply saying if you don't recognize that when you say something and you don't realize that you're making a truth claim, then you're seeing right through it. You're not seeing something. To see something means that you recognize that, man, I'm making a truth claim here. Everybody makes truth claims. And it's not that truth claims are bad per se. It's what's inside the truth claim that matters. In John 8, it reads, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, now this is a truth claim, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is saying is that you have to have the truth, be in touch with the truth, in order to experience freedom. Only the truth will set you free. It's what's in the truth claim that matters. Let's stick to the movie illustration. I love movies. Movie Titanic. I'm sure everybody has seen it. It's a great movie. It's based on a true story where a majority of people who, who sailed on this ship 
actually believed that this ship was unsinkable. In fact, they didn't have enough lifeboats on the ship to rescue everybody if the ship were to go down. And there was this moment in the movie where a crew member or a radio signal came in and told the captain that there was ice ahead. And someone suggested that it would be wise if they would stop for the night, maybe slow down, navigate through it the next day. But the captain has this discussion with the architect of the ship who happened to be on the ship, okay? And the architect pushed through and said, this ship is unsinkable. So the captain decided to stay on time and push through the night. Well, we know what happens, right? The ship sinks. Why did the ship sink? Because of the ice? No. The ship sunk because the captain was out of touch with reality. He was out of touch with the truth. He was out of touch of how dangerous the ice was, and he was out of touch of how vulnerable the ship was. Obviously, someone misled him, Obviously, he or someone miscalculated. Either way, because he was out of touch reality, many people lost their lives, including himself. You see, our modern cultural mindset says, is that somehow we have to get away from the truth in order to be free. But if you really think about it, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't. Being closely in touch with the truth, living in accordance with the truth, is what actually sets you free. Freedom comes with submission to the truth, not actually getting away from it. See, truth is much more important than we know. You might be sitting there thinking, you know, I always thought I had the freedom to create my own truths, and now you're telling me that I need to submission, I have to submit to the truth. That's because freedom is more complex than you think. See, Paul goes up to Jerusalem and he has this long debate and this long discussion. And everybody says, you know what? Yeah, you're okay. Your message, your message is legit. And in verse 9, they tell him, you basically need to just keep doing what you're doing, Paul. We're okay with that. But in verse 10, something happens. They say, Paul, I want to remind you of something, though. Although they asked, and this is what it said, although as they, they, all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do is what Paul writes. See, Paul was going to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and what he understood was they had the power, they had the money. What the apostles in Jerusalem were saying to him is, Paul, remember the Judean Christians. Remember that they're poor. They don't have power. In essence, what we're saying is, Paul, even though you guys have freedom in the gospel, don't forget you have a responsibility to address the poor. They need to know that you have the responsibility to care for them. And why would he say that? Well, in verse 4, Paul says this, we're free in Christ. We're free to do anything we want. But down in verse 10, he says, wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute, not anything we want. We're restricted to biblical ethical norms. In other words, you simply can't live any way you want. You can't spend your money any way you want. You have to tell the truth. You can't commit adultery. Now, wait a minute. In verse 4, we're free. And now in verse 10, we're restricted. You see what I mean? There's a tension. We're still restricted to live in certain ways. See, our response normally is, wait a minute. Freedom is the absence of restrictions. That's how we think, our cultural mindset. I thought freedom is the absence of constraints and boundaries and restrictions. I know as a teenager, I didn't want boundaries. But down deep inside, I craved them. I might not have said it out loud, but I craved them. But I didn't want them. I wanted freedom. 
See, the fewer restrictions there are, the freer I am. Freedom, freedom is not having restrictions on anything I do. No, freedom is much more complex than that. And I'll, I'll give you a personal example from my life. You know, as you get older, because I'm, I'm just getting a little older each year, um, you just can't eat anything you want. I know that for a fact because a couple years ago, I sat in front of a doctor and he told me that. You can't eat anything you want. Now, I didn't know how to take that, what he was implying. But the deal was, he was right. My blood pressure was way high. I was going on cholesterol medicine. He says, I know there are a lot of things that you love to eat. You just can't eat them anymore. In fact, you're going to see food sitting on the table and you're, wanna, you're gonna wanna consume it and you need to say no. You're gonna see food sitting on a shelf and you're gonna wanna have it. And you know what, I walked out of there saying, no, that's not gonna happen. You know what, he was right. Because as I started to lose weight, I would walk Meyer grocery store and get my steps in every day. You know how hard it is to walk Meyer grocery store and see all the foods that you love sitting on the shelf? All the candy that you wanna consume? You see, I couldn't go near them. I wanted to. But I couldn't go near them. I could have just grabbed a buggy, stacked up, took them home and go. But I had to say no. I was constrained. That's what constraint is. That's what it means to be constrained. We need to realize that sometimes we have to give up our freedom, like to eat anything we want, if we want to be released into a richer, deeper, longer living, healthier life. Now, there is another option for us, though. You could actually... Be totally free. Not only will you not be restricted, you can eat all the food you want, consume all you want, not be restricted. But here's the, here's the problem with that. Not only will you not be restricted, I will venture to say that you will probably lose your health and probably lessen your lifespan. See, if you restrict yourself now, you have a chance to eventually be released into a far richer freedom of living a healthier, longer life. Bottom line, you can't do both. Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, says something that I put on the back of my brain so I'll never forget it. He says this, I'll put it up on the screen. S say no to something now so you can say yes to something later. Okay, so Rich, listen, what you're saying is freedom is the absence of restrictions. So all I really need is discipline. That's not what I'm saying. Discipline in itself is good, but only to a point. What I'm saying is freedom is not the absence of restriction, but freedom is not the presence of restrictions either. What? Let me give you an example. If you're like me, you've been watching the NFL draft over the last couple days. I'm praying for the Bears. They gave up a whole lot for that number one draft pick. I hope he pans out. I really do. I think he's a good quarterback. But I love watching the draft. But let me give you an example to illustrate this. I don't know if you know this, but imagine that a young, 22-year-old, 5'3", bulking 115 pounds, dreams of being an NFL lineman. He goes to American schools, and all the teachers and people around him tell him, you can be anything you want to be, and he believes them. He said, this is my dream. I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to get drafted by the Bears. So he begins to practice, and he disciplines himself, and he restricts himself. I'm going to work out. I'm going to build myself up. 
okay, let's be realistic. You, we all know what's going to happen. He's going to come to a point in his life, he's going to look back and say, man, I kind of wasted my life. Because freedom is not the absence of restrictions or the presence of restrictions. Freedom is the presence of the right restrictions, the ones that fit your very nature, the ones that fit the way God wired you, the truth of your givenness. This is a reason, for example, why a fish out on the grass isn't free. A fish on the grass has lost its freedom to move or even to live. It can swim away like lightning if you put it back in the water because its power returns. Therefore, freedom is a lot more complex than we thought. It's not the right, it's not the right restrictions. It's the restrictions that fit with the givenness of your nature. See, when you give up your freedom, you surrender those restrictions. And it will release you into a richer, deeper sense of freedom. The truth will set you free. Which brings me to my final point. Jesus is more liberating than we thought. In the movie, I, Robot, now you might have read the book, but the book is nothing like the movie. In the movie, the main character is Sonny. Now, he's a robot. And Sonny was, was created by a maker to head off a robot rebellion. And at the end of the movie, we come to learn that he actually did it. He succeeded. He has fulfilled his design program. But now, he realizes he has nothing to do from that point. Nothing he was made to do past that point. So he goes to Detective Spooner, who's another character movie. That he says, Detective Spooner, now that I've fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. Detective Spooner says, I think you have to find your own way, like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. See, the movie script writer eloquently, right there, enshrined the modern understanding. What he's saying is, if there's no design program, if there's no set of divine directives from your maker that you have to comply with, then you're just a robot. Sounds kind of dehumanizing, doesn't it? See, you're only free, according to our culture, if, you were, if, you, if nothing you were made for. If there's no purpose that you can comply with, if there's no design purpose that you have to submit to, then you have freedom because you can live any way you want. No one's going to challenge you. Of course, it's kind of disorienting if you think about it, to think that I'm not made for anything. I don't have a purpose. Well, at least I get to create my own purpose, but what does that even mean? The Gospel writer John, in John 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word. Let's stop for a moment. You need to understand what he's saying, because in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos, when translated in our modern English, means this, re logic or reason. And he's not talking about reason, he's talking about the reason for life. What were we made for? What's the reason for our existence? I mean, look at the fish. It's obvious that the fish was designed for water. When you put the fish back in the water, it experiences freedom. But what were we made for? I mean, it's been debated for centuries. What is our existence? I mean, what is the absolute truth, the absolute reality that we were made for? And if we put ourselves into that environment, how can we experience true freedom? See, all the philosophers were, scheduling, were struggling with that at that time, and John comes along and says, no, there is a logos. There's an absolute truth. In the beginning was the absolute truth. It's not a set of divine directives that comes down from God that you have to comply with. 
He says there's an absolute truth, not an abstract, not an absolute abstraction. It's a person. The absolute truth has become a person, not an absolute principle. Here's what you're made for, to love him, to know him, to enjoy him. And you might be thinking, okay, what's the difference between an absolute abstraction versus an absolute person? All the difference in the world, because an absolute truth is an abstraction. It's dehumanizing. An, it's not personal. But an absolute truth is person. It's a relationship. Here, here's the best way I, I can put it to you. This, I got married to my wife uh, 12 years ago, and you enter into a love relationship with someone, you're, you're surrendering your independence. You're basically saying, everything that belongs to me is yours. I'm going to surrender who I am. I'm going to surrender and sacrifice my independence for you. I'm going to adjust my life for you. And if the other side does that as well, it's like living in heaven. But if one of you does and the other one doesn't, then in some cases you're exploited and you feel dehumanized. You're putting all the effort into the relationship. You're shifting. You're giving your independence. You're living according to their rules. You're doing all the adjustments. You do all the sacrificing. Here's the thing. Not with our God. That's not how it works. There's a lot of gods put out there by various religions and philosophies. But, but according to Christianity, there's only one God who gave himself for us. He says, I will lose my independence for you. I will adjust my life for you. See, in the back end of this passage, here's what happens. Paul goes right to Peter and says, Peter, what are you doing? You're starting to have racist tendencies. You're eating with the Gentiles. Now you're not. You're pulling back from them. You're, 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 you're a little hypocritical, aren't you, Peter? He said, don't you understand the truth of the gospel, Peter? It's not by the works of the law that you're justified. You're justified by sheer grace, the gift that was given to you by Jesus on the cross. Peter, if you really knew the gospel, you would know that when God looks at you, you're priceless. It's not about a set of rules, Peter. It's not that the rules aren't important. It's because the rules are. They point us to the cross. They point us to the one that surrendered everything for us so that we can have true freedom. Yes, the rules are important. They're very important. But we're saved by grace. It's not a, I have to follow the rules. It's because I want to. Peter, if you understood the gospel, you're free because Jesus died for you. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. Now, I know for some of you this morning, over the last couple of weeks, this series has probably pushed you a little bit, challenged your doubts. And I know in conversations that I'm having with people week in and week out, this is a big deal. See, if I don't follow the rules and I don't do all the things that God tells me to do, he's going to be mad at me. He's going to disown me. You don't understand the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says I died for you because you're worth it. So this morning, we got Baptism Sunday coming up in a couple weeks. That's one of a, a huge celebration that we have. 
And maybe this morning you just want to take a moment and you want to talk silently to God as I pray and say, God, you know what? I've been living according to the rules and not under the umbrella of grace. And I want to do it different today. So I want you to pray and talk that out to God silently as I pray for you. God, I know that our culture sends us a a different message. And I know, Lord, that um, even in my own life, trying to think that I have to measure up, trying to think that I have to do all the right things to earn your acceptance was such a hard struggle for me to carry. But, Lord, I also know this, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus died for us, Lord, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful you came down and gave us an opportunity, God, because we couldn't do it on our own. So I pray for my friends in here, and that my specific friend right now who's been struggling with this. I pray, God, that you work in their heart to realize that when you look at them, they are priceless, and they are perfectly and wonderfully made. God, thank you for this morning message, and help us this week, God, to really true to live, truly live into the identity of being your kid. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I usually leave you with a blessing, so if you want to hold your hands up like this as a way of receiving it, may may you know that it's not about the rules. The rules point us to Jesus and to the grace that he gives us because he thinks we're worth it. You're sent to love God, love people, and serve the world. You're dismissed. Thank you.